You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Before we get to this week's message, we want to take a moment to remind you that life group signups are open. If you're interested in getting involved in a life group or for any other next steps, head to our website at www.wordoflifeag.org. This week, we continued our reboot of the Church Word series by digging into our next word, sanctification. All right, let's listen. Uh, good morning, Word of Life. Wasn't it great seeing the kids raising $2,000 to go to World Missions? I was really inspired by that. That was awesome. And uh, you may not have been able to tell, but I was one of the suckers getting sprayed with silly string. Um, whatever it takes, right? Um, but today we're going to continue the series that we, uh, we started in uh, last summer. It was in June and July uh, last year. We uh, called it Church Words. And essentially we just looked at different words that wouldn't come up in day-to-day conversation, uh, words that may come up in a church environment or a conversation around the things of faith. But outside of church, outside of a conversation about faith, these words really wouldn't come up. And so over the summer we looked at six of those. And then for the rest of February, we're going to be looking at another three. We started last week uh, bringing this back again. And we looked at the word hallelujah. Uh, And then today we're going to continue with the word sanctification or sanctified. And the word sanctification or sanctified is definitely a word you would not expect to hear outside of a church environment or outside of a conversation around the things of faith. It's really not even a word you necessarily hear often inside church, but it is a churchy word that is worth digging into. And there was some good stuff as I was looking into this this week that hopefully will be helpful. The first thing that you'll look at if you start to do any research or any kind of digging around at all about this word sanctification is that there is a lot of overlap with the word holy, and holy is one of the words we looked at uh, last week, and it stems from the same Greek word as the word holy, and when we spoke about that last week, hopefully we looked at um, some stuff that was helpful, that was encouraging. And if you were to consider this message today on sanctification as part B of that message, I'm okay with that. And the definition we came up with when we looked at the word holy is that holy is God's unique perfection, which is both separate and creates separation from what is common or evil. And from the message on holiness, we looked at how God makes it possible for us to join Him in holiness, to be acceptable and even invited into a holy relationship with Him, even though there's not a single one of us that can claim we've earned enough to deserve it. And sanctification, the simple definition that is helpful for us as we get into this today, is sanctification is the process of making or becoming holy. Sanctification is the process of making or becoming holy. And as believers, we step into God's holiness when we place our faith in Jesus and we begin our repaired and restored relationship with Him. In His grace and love, God is committed to cleaning us up and helping us learn how to live as holy people. We begin this relationship with God when we first say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. I am making you Lord of my life. We begin that relationship with Him and we are called and declared holy, not because of what we've done, but because what He has done on the cross. And as we continue this relationship with Him, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is deeply committed to cleaning us up so that we can be a holy people. Following Jesus means embracing the ongoing process of being made and becoming holy. Following Jesus means embracing sanctification, the refinement and course correction, adjusting both the big and the small, whether it's minor tweaks or major overhauls in both attitudes and actions, When we're embracing sanctification, it's all subject to change. There's a verse I'd like to share with you from 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And the first thing I want to share with you, and there's a number of these, if you're not in the habit of taking notes, this would be a great morning to start taking these because there's a number of these that I'd like to share with you that hopefully will be helpful, is that sanctification is adapting to the new life Jesus gives. Sanctification is adapting to the new life Jesus gives. Now, I've lived in three different countries. I've lived in the UK, which is, of course, where I'm from. That explains the funny voice. Also went to college in Australia. That's where I met Megan. And beautiful girls dragged their men home with them. So I've been in the States now for close to 13 years. So I've lived in three different countries. And in those three countries, the UK, Australia, and the United States, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of overlap. But they're all uniquely different in other ways, too. So living in different countries, there's a level of having to adapt. I've also spent some, uh, a week in India a number of years ago, and that week in India was vastly different than what I'd experienced previously. So there was a lot of adapting to be in a different country like that. 
And that's what comes to mind when I think about this adapting to new life, whether it's starting in a new job, or we got a new car, or we move into a new house, or whatever it is, there's, there's a level of adapting that comes when we find ourselves in a new environment, when something new is happening. There's an adapting that comes with that. I remember as um, we were getting pretty close to the time where our oldest son Elijah would be born. Elijah, of course, our oldest, and so I'd never had kids before. I never really spent a lot of time with babies before. And so we're kind of waiting, Megan, you know, maybe had a month or so until Elijah was going to be born. And we bought a baby Bjorn, you know, the baby carriers that sit on front. Manly men wear baby carriers. Can I get an amen? So we had this baby carrier, and for some reason, it was just weighing on my mind about getting this right. I didn't want to goof up the baby carrier. So I got all the strapping, you know, figured out to my size and everything, and I put it on, and I'm kind of stood in front of the mirror, like making sure it looked good, and then I was like, this isn't an accurate field test. Now this was late at night, and Megan was already asleep, and so I started looking for something that I could put in the baby carrier that I could make sure this is all going to go okay, and the only thing I could find was a great big eight-pound box of spaghetti that we just got from Costco. So as a stand, like a proxy Elijah stand-in, I just sort of popped this eight-pound box of spaghetti in the baby carrier, and I'm just stood looking in the mirror like this. At that point, Megan wakes up and sort of comes out into the living room, you know, heavy pregnant, sees me with the baby carrier with this box of spaghetti inside, and just, I'm going back to bed. This is not worth it. The next morning, she wakes up and says, I had the weirdest dream last night. You were treating a box of spaghetti like a baby. Today is the day she finds out that was not a dream. I'm joking, she's known of course, but that's how I tried to figure out adapting to parenthood. You do when there's something new going on, you try to adapt, you try to sort of learn, you need to adjust, you need to take on something new. Sanctification is adapting to the new life Jesus gives. And as I was thinking about this this week and, and considering what I was going to share with you, a, a thought came to my mind that wasn't necessarily obvious, but I thought it was helpful as I was preparing and I want to share with you. And it's a, a line from the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, many of us will know here, it's how Jesus taught his followers to pray. And Jesus teaches followers, this is how you should pray. And one of the things he says is from Matthew 6, verse 10. This is part of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this verse is, is talking about big picture. This is talking about God's eternal kingdom taking over the permanent you know, kingdom that God is establishing. It is that big picture of may your kingdom come, usher in the kingdom of God finally so that your will will be established here on earth just as it is in heaven. It's big picture that Jesus is inviting his followers to pray for. But I think it's perfectly appropriate, and it's in line with what Jesus is teaching, for us to localize that to our lives. That in my life, I want my house to be as in heaven. I want Baldwinsville to be in Baldwinsville as it is in heaven. For your home, for your workplace, to be in your workplace as it is in heaven, for the kingdom of God to take place. And if you think about it, that in, in natural terms, what's on earth like? On earth, it's very easy to give in to temptation. On earth, it's natural, almost instinctive to do sinful things. In heaven, it's impossible to sin. In heaven, it is very easy and it's natural and it's instinctive to worship God and serve God and prioritize Him and His values and to love Him and serve Him and honor Him in everything we do and say. In heaven, that's easy. In heaven, that's how it goes. There's no sin. It's just all glory and honor and goodness for God forever and ever. On earth, serving God is a struggle. Serving God means fighting temptation. Serving God means discipline. On earth, as it is in heaven, means tipping the balance. So that serving God becomes instinctive. So that loving others the way that God loves us becomes instinctive. Fighting temptation becomes instinctive and natural and easier. Resisting sin and temptation becomes easier and easier. Worshiping and devotion to God becomes easier. That is on earth as it is in heaven. It is that shift in balance. So that in my life and hopefully in your life, we can all say that it is in my life as it is in heaven. I'm letting go of the values of the world around me. And I'm grabbing on to kingdom, heavenly, eternal values. And that balance is shifting. There's a displacement that in my life, it's easier. It's more natural. 
It's more responsive. It's instinctive for me to serve God and prioritize him, put him first and keep him first and to worship him and love him and to love other people and treat other people the way that God would want me to treat other people and to put myself second and all the stuff becomes more easier and easier. My friends, that is sanctification. Is that switch in balance. If one person claps, we all have to. It is that switch in balance. And that's the kind of thought that was in the backdrop of this as I was thinking about this today. What's normal and typical and expected in the world, giving in a temptation, that starts to shrink in our lives. A love for God, having our eyes wide open to the devastation of sin, a love and concern for people around us, kingdom values, being honorable, all of these things are the things that are growing in our lives as we think about living a life of being sanctified, of engaging with sanctification. Now the promise is that Jesus will help us as his followers, that Jesus is deeply committed to helping to clean us up. And as followers of Jesus and people that love Jesus and are following him and that our lives are centered on him, there's many descriptors and there's many things that we would say to describe who Jesus is to us. Some of the things that you'll hear often is saying that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He's the prophet. He's the son of God. But there's a title that Jesus' early followers used that we can see in the Gospels over and over again, and the early disciples called him, and it's the word teacher. And I don't know about you, but I don't often use the word teacher to describe Jesus. I'll talk about him being Lord, I'll talk about him being the King of Kings, I'll talk about him being the Son of God, but the early followers of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, they will very often refer to him as teacher. It was a reputation that Jesus had, and part of it is the functionality is that Jesus would gather crowds of people and he would teach. And even if someone here has no confidence that Jesus is the Son of God, even someone here that doesn't share the faith that Jesus is the Messiah that's promised in the Old Testament, nobody would be able to sensibly deny that the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth have changed human history. Jesus as a teacher has been the most impactful teacher that has ever lived. Nobody has had the impact that Jesus as a teacher has ever had. And in our desire, in my desire, hopefully in your desire to be sanctified, to engage in this process of sanctification, in this process of the heaven becoming larger and larger in our life, and the earthly thinking, our fleshly thinking, our selfish thinking, getting smaller and smaller in our life, that process, I believe, is going to take us looking to Jesus as a teacher to teach us how to do that. So the rest of our time that we want to spend together today, I want to take some time, I want to think about, and I want to consider the role of Jesus as a teacher in our lives. What does it mean? Jesus, the greatest teacher that has ever been, what does it look like for us to look to him as a teacher to help us make this switch as we start to have on, on earth as it is in heaven, in my home, your home, and in our lives each and every day? So we're going to read a few verses from John 17. And John 17, where we're going to catch up to, this is uh, shortly before Jesus is arrested and consequently crucified. And Jesus takes time to pray for his disciples, and he's praying to the Father. So we're going to pick this up, John 17, 13. Now I am coming to you. Remember, this is Jesus talking to God the Father. I am coming to you. I told them many things. We could say, I taught them many things. While I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word. We could say, I have taught them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy, so they can be sanctified by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And here we can see Jesus being presented to us. And as he's praying, we can hear that heart of a teacher coming out. Multiple times, that's how Jesus would describe himself, that I have taught them many things. I have taught them. I have given them your word. And Jesus asked the Father to continue to teach them your word. We also see this theme and this idea of sanctification coming up. We talk about they do not belong to the world. They are separated to make them holy, to sanctify them by your truth. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy, so they can be sanctified by your truth. And what I wrote down, and this is something else I'd invite you to write down, is that sanctification is transformation by learning from the greatest teacher the world will ever have. 
Sanctification is transformation by learning from the greatest teacher the world will ever have. To live separate and distinct in the world with the balance shifting so heavenly thinking and values are growing and earthly unhealthy living is shrinking, it's vital to respect Jesus as a teacher that can teach us things we desperately need to learn. As we think about Jesus as teacher, the primary way that you and I can listen to Jesus is of course through the Bible. And I don't just mean the words in red, but this verse from 2 Corinthians keeps coming to pass and keeps showing itself to be true. This is 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered, yes. So through him, we say our amen to the glory of God. Now that's a great way of Paul summarizing that all the promises of God in Jesus are fulfilled. The whole Bible that you have, from what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, wrote to the church in Corinth, is that every promise you and I could find in that Bible, in Jesus, is fulfilled. So as we look to him as a teacher, we can look to the whole Bible fulfilled in him, and we can learn, and we can sharpen, and we can grow, and we get to start to see this displacement take space. Now we're promised the help of the Holy Spirit in this. Now the good news is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all on the same mission with the same objective. And often when we talk about sanctification, we rightly talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And as we think about Jesus as teacher, it's not forgetting the role of the Holy Spirit. I came across this verse in John 14. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have taught you. The Holy Spirit, he'll continue to teach you everything. And he's gonna remind you of everything I have taught you. This teaching is an indistinguishable part of sanctification. The Holy Spirit helps us learn from Jesus. Now there's a number of people who are in education that are part of our church, a number of teachers, a number of people that are involved in education, and there's some qualities of a good teacher that we can see, no matter what field, no matter what environment someone's in. A good teacher is more advanced than the student. A good teacher is teaching things that are helpful. A good teacher is teaching things that are relevant. And Jesus, his teaching is truthful. But there's also, and this is good for you and I to be aware of, is that there are qualities of a good student. Any teacher will tell you, they know what bad students look like. I'm not looking at anyone here. But there are some qualities that make one student better than another, that make them greater students. The first is they're ready to learn. They're ready to get better. There's a belief among the students that there is, there is more to learn. And they're aware of their own limitations. And these things are true, whether it's coaching a little league team, whether it's a master's degree, or whether it's a first day on a new job. If we're ready to learn, if we're ready to get better, if there's a belief that there's more to learn, and if we're aware of our own limitations, it will make us a better student. And in sanctification, we look to Jesus as a teacher, and it's to teach us about the most important things in the world. Sanctification, as we've already said, is the process of making or becoming holy. And this is something that is vital, and the rest of this message we continue as a sanctification is impossible without humility. Sanctification is impossible without humility. And I wrote these down and these were helpful for me, so I'll share these with you. Four factors of a humble student. Four factors of a humble student. The first is ready to learn, which means the humility to listen. Ready to grow, which means the humility to change. Belief that there's more to learn, which means the humility to stretch. Aware of our own limitations, which means the humility to admit needing help. It takes humility to listen, to change, to stretch, and to receive help. And if we're going to be good students, it means we're going to listen to what Jesus teaches. We're going to have the willingness to change. It means that we're going to rise to the challenge of the stretch he gives. And we're going to be willing to receive help to overcome our current limitations. But the promise on the other side of all this the promise of being on the other side of being a humble student and learning from Jesus is the promise of freedom. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth brings both freedom and sanctification. This is a verse we read just a moment ago from John 17. Make them holy, sanctified by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. The truth brings both freedom and sanctification, brings that process of us being made holy. And perhaps we should start thinking about freedom and God cleaning up the mess in our hearts 
as being one and the same thing. Jesus' teaching brings freedom. The truth that comes with his teaching corrects lies, and lies stand in the way of freedom and peace and joy. Sanctification corrects the lies we have believed. To help correct the lies and bring the truth, we need to be taught the truth. And for that, we need a teacher. And that's why looking to Jesus as a teacher is so important as we engage in sanctification. I want to spend some time and I want to walk back through that passage from John 17. It was the uh, longer section that I went through. I want to sort of stop and sort of look at verse by verse because I think there's some helpful stuff here. But before I go through the rest of the passage, I want to start at the end of verse 20, which is the final verse that we read. But John 17, 20, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And when Jesus prays, what he's about to pray, and we're going to dig more into what we just read, but as Jesus is praying this on his mind, from his words, in verse 20, it's not just the 12 disciples. It's for every believer that would ever exist anywhere, ever. That includes you and me. I read this this week as I was looking at some commentaries on this passage. Jesus is aware not only that he will depart from the world, but likewise, those who stand with him, his immediate circle of followers, the 12 disciples, will also depart to be with him in his glory. This will leave those whom they disciple, the church, to represent the kingdom in the world. Therefore, Jesus now turns to pray for these followers whom he has not yet met, men and women who will follow the apostles, indeed, the church today, including you and I, which carries the mission set down by Jesus during his final week. The passage we're going to dig into, it's addressed immediately to the disciples that Jesus has been working with for the past three years, but it's not limited to those 12. On Jesus' mind is every believer ever. That's what we just read in verse 20. Also, I think it's somewhat amazing that Jesus prayed for us on his earthly time here on the planet. Let's consider what's contained in this verse. So let's go back to verse 13. John 17, 13, now I am coming to you. It's how Jesus begins this prayer. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I taught them many things so they will be filled with joy. There's a connection to Jesus' teachings and true, honest to goodness, joy. And there's a difference between joy and happiness. Last week, we talked about the difference between passion and excitement. But this week, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is wrapped up in the two-dimensional things, the right circumstances, a lack of negativity. Joy transcends all of that. As we think about this promise of joy that Jesus has, if you listen to my teachings, they will be filled with my joy. It's amazing to me, and it's important that we recognize as believers that there's no judgment. This is not some condemnation. There's not some angry message. If they don't listen to what I'm going to say, they're going to get it. It's if they do listen to my message, there is an indescribable joy that they can have. There's an indescribable joy that I want to be existent in their life. This is not something two-dimensional. This is something rich. This is something life-changing, a joy that doesn't come just from happiness, from circumstances going well. Chelsea won the soccer game yesterday. I was real happy about it. Sooner or later, they're going to lose a game. That can't be what my joy is dependent upon. It cannot be. Joy is a rich, rich thing that is deep in our hearts, and it comes from what Jesus says, from us listening and paying attention to and being sanctified by his teaching. Happy doesn't keep us singing in a jail cell. Happy doesn't look at a fiery furnace and refuse to compromise. Happy doesn't take the message of Jesus and spread it all over the world. Happy is two-dimensional, but joy is deep and rich. Sanctification. If one person claps, we all have to. I'm thinking about making an amendment about that in the Constitution, that if one person claps, we all have to. Anyway. Sanctification doesn't settle for happy. Sanctification doesn't settle for happy. On to verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Now, I would guess that no one in 2,000 years since Jesus first said these words has ever looked forward to the opportunity to be hated. But we can't ignore that this is what Jesus taught us. Now, I don't believe that we should read this, and if we don't feel hated right now, I don't think that's an, you know, an instruction to go and upset people. 
There are other Bible verses that talk about living in peace and enriching the lives of others and being a blessing to our neighbors and so on. But keep in mind that this was written to believers and this is understood by believers that were facing persecution at this time. Their life was on the line for their faith. And so he's, Jesus is saying, don't be surprised if they hate you. Don't be shocked by that. And what I took from that and what I think is helpful for you and I in that context is that sanctification is not proven by fitting in. Sanctification is not proven by fitting in. Jesus teaches a different value system, a different way of experiencing joy, and the proof that God is working in our lives that this displacement is happening between on earth as it is in heaven is not going to be found in the approval of the world around us. Jesus is teaching a different value system, a different set of ethics, a different set of code of conduct. Jesus is teaching us to be different, separated, distinct. It's part of his invitation to holiness. And as this transition is happening, we cannot confirm or we cannot take our confidence that the world around us agrees. It should not surprise us if the world is against what we are saying. This is what I believe that we can take from what Jesus says. Verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. It can feel like the answer is to be absent from the world around us. And yet Jesus clearly says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's how it can feel at times. It can feel that if we were only gone, this would feel like it would make sense. But do not take them out of the world. That's what Jesus is praying for us. Many times in John's gospel, the ruler of the world is another name or another title or another description that's given to Satan or the devil. And here Jesus is saying, keep them safe. Keep them safe from the evil one. Now we just got done talking about the persecution and hatred that these Christians may be experiencing. And we've been told that you know, there is a prayer to be safe. And what is the safety to come from? I think that, of course, it includes a lot of things, physical safety. I think it includes this idea that, you know, that God's plans aren't going to be compromised because of what the enemy may be up to. I also would say that it's being safe from counterfeit joy. That's what we first read is that as we listen to Jesus' teaching, is let Jesus' teaching shape our hearts and our minds, that there is a joy that comes from that. And we need to be protected and we need to be kept safe from what the enemy would try to give us, which is counterfeit joy. And that we would know that this is what Jesus is teaching. This is who he is. This is the displacement of on earth as it is in heaven. That we don't buy into the counterfeit joy. This verse from Matthew 6, 13, another verse from the Lord's Prayer. Do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Echoing the same thought that we just read from John 17. The answer is not to be removed from the world. But really it's to find the reason that Jesus wants us to stay. Sanctification prepares us for a purpose. I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to depart. I don't want them to be gone. I want them to stay in the world. The question that should come to you and I is, why? Sanctification prepares us for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. On to verse 16. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Now, this is the second time this thought is mentioned about they're not belonging to the world and they're not accepted by the world and the world hates them. That whole idea of they do not belong to this world any more than I do. And the answer is not to be removed physically, but rather to be separated in values and priorities. Belonging to the world and the world's values is not our measure of success. And giving up that goal of fitting in and reaching the world's markers of success, that's what brings freedom. That's the experience, the joy that Jesus describes. And for us, I wrote this down, and this is helpful. For me, hopefully, it's something helpful for you. We're desperate to fit in, but we're called to live standing out. We're desperate to fit in. We're desperate for the world not to hate us. We're desperate to feel like we belong in the world around us. But we're called to live standing out. And I would be sure to say to stand out for the right reasons. What are the right reasons? The fruit of the Holy Spirit just flowing out of our lives. That anywhere we go, we're looking for opportunities to bring peace. Anywhere we go, we're looking for opportunities to make it better and lift the atmosphere of a room. Anywhere we go is to try and bring the idea that the goodness of God is something that I'm able to share. It's to have a sincere love and care and concern for the people around us. It's having a commitment to being honest and telling the truth, being a generous person, being the first one to help. Here's a sensitive one, being a good employee, to treat people with respect, Will some people hate us for it? Maybe. But this is the displacement. 
that we're talking about, and it leads to the joy and the freedom that Jesus promises. Sanctification is observed by not fitting in and standing out for the right reasons. Sanctification is observed by not fitting in and standing out for the right reasons. Verse 17, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Truth, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Sanctification corrects the lies we've believed. Sanctification corrects the lies we've believed and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As we go through life, we're all prone. I don't think any of us would claim to be an exception to picking up lies along the way. Hurtful words stick to us. There are circumstances that cause us to believe something that isn't accurate or isn't true. And a number of years ago, Megan and I were involved in a ministry where we would have a small group reading every week for 12 weeks. And this small group, the idea was that you kind of get people to a point where they're ready to share some of the most vulnerable and most hurtful moments of their lives. And that all happened and it all culminated in a one-day or two-day conference that would happen. And at this conference, there was a prayer team down front and Meg and I were able to serve on the prayer team. And the whole idea is that you create an environment, you create a space where people are ready to start verbalizing some of the most painful, hurtful things they've ever encountered in their lives. Now, that's not an easy thing. We want to bury. We want to keep it behind. And God's able to do something if we're willing to get it to the surface. And so we would do these, and the mid-majority of this teaching was you've believed lies. You've believed wrong thinking about yourself. The value that you have of yourself, it doesn't match what God says about you. The way, that you, the way you think of yourself, your self-image, the way that you feel you need to exist in life, it doesn't match with the love God has for you. And so much of this conference was about helping people get to a point and that they were ready to start offloading some of this stuff so that they could stop believing the lies that they picked up through life, often through very painful circumstances. And instead, they could start taking on the truth of Jesus' teaching. And that was a very extreme example as Meg and I were there. And I think we were a part of these for three or four times. It was a number of times we were a part of these. And it was amazing to see the lies that people pick up along the way Feelings of worthlessness, of being inconsequential, of not measuring up, of not being anybody's favorite, about being completely indifferent to life, about if they were not here, it wouldn't make any difference, of something that happened that caused them to think that they were damaged goods, all these awful things, the people that had brought on themselves, the people that had taken on through life, through circumstances, through the words of others, all those kind of things. And to be able to see that people were finally at a point where they were listening to some truth, that God loves you in an indescribable way, that your value has not changed and cannot change because you are made in the image of God. It doesn't change, doesn't shift. And we start taking on the truth. <laughs> Listening to the truth, looking to Jesus' teacher, means that we're ready to start reminding ourselves and teaching our hearts and teaching our minds and bringing about joy and freedom and that being what's normal in our lives. Verse 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Now in times before starting in church ministry, I worked in sales, a um, number of different positions. And truth be told, I really wasn't very good at it. But one of the things that I did learn doing this, working uh, you know, in sales in a number of different organizations, is that sales managers are really good salesmen. And what sales man uh, managers will sell is the job. So what they'll sell is, if you come work here, all you have to do is basically turn up and people will just line up to give you money. It's amazing. And it doesn't matter what the product is. You could be selling anything. You won't believe how much money you can make in your first year and you would not believe how easy it is. Here's a picture of a cruise just to prove it to you. It's absolutely, anyway, it's absolutely nuts. If we're not careful, we can sell faith and appeal to the selfishness in people. We can become bad sales managers in trying to tell people about the things of faith. Preachers that promise health, wealth, and prosperity, and that faith is all about you, and you getting what you want, it'll always have appeal because we're tapping into people's self-centeredness. And that means we're appealing to people's sinfulness. 
instead of trying to separate people from their sin, which is what sanctification does, it taps into that self-centeredness. Consequently, self-centered preaching is the opposite of sanctification. Once again, in this, Jesus is our example. In John 8, 54, Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, if I make it all about me and what I can get and what I want and what I need and what I think I deserve and things that keep me happy and it's all about me, 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 it doesn't count. But it's my Father who will glorify me. And this sentiment is echoed for multiple times, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that humility precedes a godly promotion. Jesus was sent into the world. And what he says here is that we are likewise sent into the world. And what does that mean? Simply that we continue the work he started. We also teach his message. Not our message, but we faithfully teach his. We are not set free and promised eternity just so that we can be free and look forward to being with him in heaven. There's an old joke about baptism. You may have heard it, but if the whole point of becoming saved and coming into a relationship with God was so that we could go to heaven one day, when it comes to water baptism, you just have to hold people down a few minutes longer. That's not a suggestion, anybody. <laughs> we come up out of that baptismal waters for a purpose. There are reasons. Jesus said in the same passage we've been reading, don't take them out of the world. They need to be here. And we just read, they need to go and continue what I have started. There is a purpose for you and I to be here. We are rescued and then written into God's rescue plan. We are rescued and then written into God's rescues plan. As Jesus' followers who are to teach his word, we need humility. We need to love people the way that Jesus did. The specific roles that each of us will play will definitely differ, but we are all rescued for a purpose. Verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'll be going through the sanctifying process to make their sanctification possible. Now for Jesus, sanctification wasn't about removing unholiness because he has always been perfect on his own merit. For Jesus, being set apart meant the cross, an act that was distinct and separate and holy. And what we've read here, it's because of the cross that we can share in that holiness. Now there may be some teachers or coaches that you've had in your time, whether it's at university, college, or sports, or whatever it may be, and they've never had to put in practice what they're teaching you. A few other things that came to mind was, you know, a journalism professor that's never worked for a major publication, or a conductor for an orchestra that isn't as good as the musicians that they're leading, or professional sports teams. I know that they have sports science majors on their coaching teams who have never once played a professional game. And it's a lot different when the teacher is trying to help you transform your entire life. In that instance, it's expected and correct to want to know that they've walked in the shoes that they are now telling you to put on. For Jesus to teach us about being holy, about being set apart and engaged in the process of being sanctified, it's important to see that in this, he's a role model. He's walked those, those miles. He went to the cross. I give myself as a holy sacrifice. Holy, set apart. And our pursuit of sanctification of Living a holy life that's set apart, Jesus remains our teacher both in word and example. I was reading a, a book not long ago, I finished it, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And this book, it was the whole premise of the book was to consider that 90% of Jesus' earthly life was spent in obscurity. As people that are able to read the Bible, there's only three years or so that we see of Jesus' earthly life represented, and there's 30 years of him living in obscurity, is the whole thought of this book. But there was a passage that I think spoke to what we're talking about today that I wanted to share. Our desire to be like Jesus contains several exemption clauses, not the least of which are Jesus' hidden years, desert experiences, temptations, tortures, and crucifixion. We will pass on those, thank you. What we are most definitely interested in, however, is Jesus' character, authority, and power. Our enthusiastic declaration that we wanna be like Jesus reference Jesus' visible years. We are not saying, I want to subject my body, spirit, and mind to an extended wilderness experience, or I want to be uh, brutally beaten, suffer excruciating pain, and be murdered at the hands of mocking sinners. But that's what Jesus was for us. As an example, being set apart, being distinct, 
so that we could also be set apart and distinct as we become in the process and engage in that process of being made holy. Jesus will always be the greatest teacher and greatest role model. Now, how do we engage this process of sanctification? The boring answer is the best one. Reading the Bible and praying about it. It's a boring answer, and I'm okay with that. But it doesn't mean it's not true. The role of the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible, as we hear what it is that the teachings of Jesus and as I already mentioned, it's not just the words in red, it's not just the, the things that we record from the things Jesus said, but it's the whole Bible encapsulates who He is. It all points to Him. And as we read that, and with the Holy Spirit, as we've already read, helping us grab a hold of what He's teaching, changes our hearts. As we prayerfully come to Him and we say, Lord, I want to hear from You, I want to know what's going on. Hearts start to change. It's a boring answer. It doesn't mean it's not true. The role of the Holy Spirit in all this. John 14, I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit is there to correct our thinking, to challenge us to adjust our habits and our actions as being truth so that we can start undoing the lies that we've believed. Also, I would say is have a group of people that you trust Listen to people, not the loudest voices in the room, not what cultural society says, but people that you trust. Somebody or a group of people that have proven that they want God's very best for you. And never forget that all of this, this sanctification that we've been talking about, it is impossible without humility. Sanctification is the process of making or becoming holy. Sanctification depends on a willingness to change. Sanctification is impossible without humility. It takes humility to listen, change, stretch, and receive help. Sanctification is adapting to the new life Jesus gives, and the Holy Spirit helps us learn from Jesus. And what happens when we engage in the sanctification process? A part of looking to Jesus as a teacher is growing in likeness to Him, adopting His values as we learn from Him. One of the ways this plays out is a shift in what's normal and expected. Things that culture, our own surroundings would say is normal or typical and expected are things that we now know we need to distance ourselves from. A part of being sanctified is being separate from the world and being okay with it. I know for myself, and I don't think I'm the only one here, that when I first became a Christian at 19, the first few years especially is I'm relearning life. I'm being challenged by God. I'm getting in my Bible and it's speaking to me and the Holy Spirit is helping me remember and apply what I'm reading about what Jesus would want to teach me. I remember those feelings of things that were normal just a few months ago, things that were expected, things that helped me fit in were suddenly things that felt alien and foreign. My friends, that's sanctification. That's the shift in balance on earth as it is in heaven. Sanctification is observed not by fitting in, but standing out for the right reasons. Sanctification corrects the lies we've believed. Sanctification doesn't settle for happy because Jesus will always be the greatest teacher and greatest role model. And this is something we should care about. This is something we should care deeply about because it means that we're living with promise and we're living with purpose from the different verses that we've read and the different things that we've shared, there is a promise of joy, not surface two-dimensional happiness, but true joy in this. There's a promise of protection from the evil one. There's a promise of freedom. And there's also the call to live with purpose. There's a danger in representing the message of Jesus being self-serving. But joy and freedom aren't found in selfishness. They're found in godly transformation. Finding freedom and learning from Jesus, they're the same thing. The sanctification prepares us for a purpose. The sanctification brings joy and gives our lives purpose. We are rescued and then written into God's rescue plan. Sanctification is transformation by learning from the greatest teacher the world will ever know. I got a couple of questions. Hopefully everyone will write these down this week. Take a few minutes, pray through these. Hopefully there's some challenge that comes from this that's helpful to you. The first thing, are you a humble student? Are you a humble student? 
As we talked about a little earlier, the humble student is the best kind of student, someone that's ready to learn, someone that's ready to grow, someone that's ready to stretch, someone that's aware that they haven't got it all figured out. Those are the best students. Are we humble students? Are you a humble student? Second thing, how are you standing out? How are you standing out? Are you still consumed with needing to feel like you fit in? Are you comfortable that being sanctified means being separate and distinct from what the world may call ordinary? Are you standing out for the right reasons? Are you standing out not for being angry and judgmental and wanting to point out everyone's faults? But are you standing out for right reasons of godliness and the goodness of God and the love of God and the fruit of the Spirit just flowing from your life? Final passage of Scripture I want to read to you. It's from Romans 6, and if I wanted to read the whole chapter of Romans 6, it would be applicable, but for the sake of time, I'll start in verse 17. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Now let me just back up a second. Paul's talking about slavery, and he's going to talk in a moment and just sort of point out that he's using that as an illustration. Now, slavery is ugly. We know it's ugly, and I don't have any reason to defend slavery. It's awful and evil and terrible. But he used this analogy that Paul's using here. It talks about a change in ownership. You've gone from being a slave to sin, owned by sin, consumed with sin, at the whim of sin, to being owned by God, focused on Him, His values. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so you will become holy. You will become sanctified. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the obligation to do right. You're living up here on earth, not in heaven, on earth. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that in the end, in eternal doom. But now, now that sanctification has happened to you believers in Rome, now that this displacement has started to happen, now that you've listened to our teaching, that's what Paul says, and as I faithfully taught Jesus to you, faithfully represented him, now that you've taken this teaching on board, now that this transformation has happened, now that your heart has been changed, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please, can we make some noise for some life-changing truth? Before we close today, you may be here. You may have heard a biblical message many, many times. You may have never been in church before in your life. You may be completely new to this idea of God, Jesus, the cross, resurrection, the whole thing may be completely new to you but you're here today. I wanna tell you that when I was 19 years old, I made a decision to follow Jesus. That decision is easily the best decision I've ever made. I would love to stand up here and tell you that ever since I made that decision 18 years ago, my life has been plain sailing. It's not true. There've been ups, there've been downs, but I've never regretted my decision to follow Jesus. Because what I figured out and what I knew and what became true to me that day and what I believed wholeheartedly is that I desperately needed a savior. As we've just read these verses from Paul, slave to sin. I don't like thinking about that. That freaks me out. That scares me. I didn't want to live like that. I wanted to live for God. I wanted to live for Him. I wanted my life to count for something. I wanted to live with a sense of purpose. And you may be here, and you may be at that point where you're ready to be honest enough and to admit, I need a savior. I have a long list of regrets in my life. Here's the thing I know about you. You do too. Your list might look different from my list. My list might be worse than your list or your list might be worse than my list. It doesn't really matter. We have a list of regrets, mistakes. The Bible calls it sin. And that list, those sin, it separates us from God. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want that separation. How do we know that? How can we be sure of that? That is not what God wants. Because He sent His Son 
to pay the price for humanity. God became humanity to pay the price that humanity could never, ever pay. That's why this is a good news message. That's why this is a message of joy and a message of love, is that God cares. He doesn't want that gap between you and I to exist. And you may be here today, and you may be at that point where you're ready to say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to start following God. I'm ready to put my faith and my trust in Him. I'm ready to let Him be the Savior that He is. I don't want to center my life following Jesus. I invite everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads. This just gives him discretion and focus on what really matters right now. But if you're here and you be honest enough and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I need God in my life. I'm not following God, but I want to start. I don't want this separation between me and God to define my life anymore. I'd love to pray for you. I promise I'm not gonna embarrass anybody here. I'm not gonna do anything that's gonna make you feel uncomfortable, but I wanna know who I'm praying for when we pray together in just a moment. So if you wanna be included in that prayer, could you just put your hand up for a moment just so I know who we're praying for? Amen, thank you. Anyone else, thank you. Amen, anybody else, thank you. Amen, come on, anybody else here? I don't wanna rush this moment. If this is it, if this is the moment, you're ready. I'd love to include you when we pray. Anybody else here? Awesome, thank you. Amen. Online, you can just push a button that says, I raise my hand and you will definitely be included in this. Anyone else? I don't want to rush if there's still people that need to be prayed for today. Amen. Thank you. I'm so glad we waited for you. Amen. Anybody else? And then we go and pray. And we're going to pray like this is going to change some lives in here. Awesome, amen. Come on, word of life, can we please celebrate people making the best decision they could ever make. We're gonna pray this prayer and we pray this at the end of every service. The words are on the screen. I'm gonna say a line and then I'm gonna ask you to say a line back. And if you're one of those brave people that put your hand up, I want you to pray this believing this is the power to transform your life. I say this as somebody that prayed this 18 years ago, changed my life and I know I'm not the only one in the room. So let's pray this prayer believing that God will answer this in a life-changing way. So come on everybody, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody, one more time. Let's celebrate with people. Amen.